Today's podcast is with guest Katie Duffy Schumacher, and she's the author of Don't Press Send, A Mindful Approach to Social Media, and Education in Cyber Civics. Katie is the founder of Don't Press Send campaign and the developer of the internationally downloaded Don't Press Send app. She's a frequent lecturer, and she's a mother of three teens. Katie has appeared in numerous media outlets such as WSJ Live TV, Beyond 50 Radio, Voice of America Radio, News 12, Fios 1, Newsday. So it's pretty, it's a nice treat to have her on and speaking about her book and her experience and her journey. So I hope you all enjoy. Maybe we can start by, since you and I don't really know each other that well, maybe you can start by just telling me a little bit about your journey. Sure. Um, I began the Don't Press Send campaign in 2012 um, after seeing firsthand in my home and in my community what was happening when we were allowing our children to have social media at very young ages. And um, not really being computer savvy myself, I had to learn exactly what Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all that was about. And the minute I started learning, I said, wait a minute, this, this is just really unhealthy for them. We have to, we can't forego our children's social and emotional development for convenience. So I started as a community service in my community in Rockville Center. And when I started presenting, lots of teachers lived in other districts and asked me to start coming to speak to their districts. And it just blew up from there. That's great. Well, yeah. I mean, well, the part that um, you're getting a lot of exposure is great. It, what, what would you say is the main way that you have found that it is, I think you said, um, hurting your children's uh, emotional, social development? Yes. Well, in general, part of life is we get our feelings hurt. That's just life. But what they're being exposed to at a very young age is basically... Um, the best way I could describe it is public humiliation. If they make a mistake or they do something unkind or they're, feel, they're getting um, hurt by someone's words, it is such a big audience. And to recover from that at a young age, it's, it's hard for adults to, to deal with this stuff. And we're expecting kids who are trying to build the self-esteem to be able to be equipped to handle this type of rejection, this type of hurt at such a level and on top of it, we all know that social media, everybody puts up this facade of how great their lives are. And it's teaching kids that life is not difficult or they see it over and over again. They feel they're the only ones struggling. So the comparing their lives to everybody's every move, every second is dear impossible to build the self-esteem that way. It's not possible. You know, I think I'm thinking of two things while you're speaking. Uh, one is, I think maybe I was 13 or 14 years old. I went and played in a baseball tournament in Cooperstown, and there were maybe a thousand people watching. And it was the first game, and I ran out onto the field, and I tripped over the pitcher's mound, and everybody, uh-huh. everybody there laughed. And I remember being really embarrassed, but it kind of it went yeah. away after maybe a few hours, a few days. But if I had if that had been recorded, which it surely would have oh. been now, then yeah. that could have carried on for, you know, a thousand days, a thousand views, a million views. And it's just, 
uh, I'm thinking of that now, all these things that happened in my childhood that were these little embarrassing moments that sort of just went away, that at yes. this point it would be documented. And, and they went away and it still is in the back of your mind where that was embarrassing, that was hard. And it's still there for you. Right. And these kids, um, you one little miss up, one little mistake, one little anything, it is constantly, I'm the kid who this, I'm the kid who that, the labeling and the judgment and the, um, it, it's just, we have a mental health crisis on our hands because of this. Soon enough, it's going to happen and that we are going to realize, I can't believe we gave, just like smoking, I can't believe we gave these kids devices. In elementary school, I speak to students from elementary school all the way through college. We have seven and eight-year-olds a lot of them on Snapchat and Instagram. Seven and eight-year-olds who are learning to live their life for an audience. So I was, I was on um, Instagram last night, actually, because part of having a business or trying to you know, yes. have some exposure of your message is having an Instagram. And I was mm -hmm. on there last night, and I see all of these um, people on their vacations or doing yeah. all these things. I can feel if I'm paying really close attention and thankfully for my mindfulness practice, I can see it coming yeah. up, the the jealousy and like the comparing. Oh, yeah. But I'm way more equipped at this age. You know, I'm 30 years old and I have these devices that I've built to not, you know, let that uh, de make me decompensate i can put it away and smile right at the life i do have but maybe if i didn't have these tools it would be it would affect me much more and well it is affecting our children greatly i mean i am telling you i have a cross-section because i see no matter it has nothing to do with socioeconomic every single school i go into i listen and i talk to the principals i talk to the school psychologists i do our children are unhappy and that concerns me. Our children are, we are, we are taking, a, the adults are allowing their childhood to be taken away. These things that you're talking about mastering, uh, we are expecting children to have these coping skills at seven, eight years old. They don't have them. They're not mature enough to separate that stuff. It also breeds narcissistic behavior. Let's put a false sense of ourselves out there. They're constantly being fed that everyone else is watching them. And what do I look like? What am I wearing? What am I presenting? That there is no internal pride, internal happiness that they are taught to, to seek out. It's all fulfilled through a filter, honestly. So um, I... I'm thinking about, I don't have children myself, but I work at a university in the counseling center and the students could be anywhere from 17 to 22 years old, which they're a little bit older, but um, their foundation, their, their growth was, was with social media. And I can see just in the five years I've been there, there has been a huge oh. growth in students coming into the counseling center with a lot going on emotionally. Um, well, did you see the article? I think it was last week or the week before in the New York Times about universities. Like basically, they can't even. Um, they have to keep hiring more and more counselors because yeah. of the level of 
mental health issues that are happening. The bottom line is, this is, you know, I, I spend a lot of time figuring out how the heck did we get here? Because I'm hearing all these stories and there are terrible, terrible stories in each and every school I go to. And we have a suicide rate of 200% increase between 10 and 14 year olds. That's insanity. And I say, well, how did it get here? It's not just social media, but I think the combination between the way our children are raised now, extremely structured, extremely parental guided, and throw social media in there. I said, you look at the drug, the drug crisis, you look at the, the, gun, the, the gun situations we have in school, the school shootings. We look at all of these problems that, are, that have arisen and think about our upbringing. I'm not exactly sure how old you are, but we were on our streets and we got a lot of bumps and bruises along the way without parents involved, fighting to be on a team, being left out daily, every single day, little tiny bumps. Our children did not experience that. Our children went to school, we picked them up, we drove them to clinic, then we drove them to tutoring, then we drove them to something else. And when they had that half hour, hour time to just decompress, they're on their phones or they're on their um, gaming systems playing with each other. Okay, so now we got a screen separating everybody. We don't have body language guiding us because we, by five, six years old, you say something mean and see someone's physical body language, we back off as human beings. We learn. It doesn't feel good to hurt somebody. But they didn't experience all of these things. And now they're adolescents and the flood of emotion that comes to them, they are not equipped. So they hide behind screens. So Katie, what, what would you say is something that parents could do about this? Well, thank God. Um, the state education systems are getting involved and now mental health curriculum is being um, mandated in most states. New York, I think it's 2020 um, that it's being mandated. Mindfulness needs to be in every single school. It takes five minutes. As a, I was a former classroom teacher, I know that since I left the classroom, what these teachers are being bombarded with. There is no time for creativity. There is no, it is push, 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 push. Now think about this. These are five, six, seven-year-old kids who all they're learning is your job is to perform. That is not a good message. And we have to go back to starting each morning with, okay, we're gonna do a little mindfulness exercise. As you well know, I took my curriculum training through mindful schools and this takes no time. Schools in California have been doing this forever. They've replaced attention with many other schools with these mindfulness training and the outcome is phenomenal. And how is it that you see in your experience mindfulness helping with these problems that we have highlighted? Well, for me personally, I began my mindfulness journey probably about seven years ago, and it completely changed my life. I would say I was much more a reactive person. Now I, I respond. I, you know, like you said, when something arises, you feel it and you know where to put it. And um, same with me. If I'm on social media and I'm, I see these, you know, oh, your family's so great. And oh, this one's going to Georgetown. And this one's, I'm like, okay. This is my story and I don't need to go there. Right. So, but that takes 
took training and skill and, and learning and, and wanting to, but the problem is many of these teachers are not mindfully practicing. And if they're not practicing, my concern is, is it going to be done properly? Well, you know, I just went to, I did a program last week and I taught at uh, Fusion Academy, which is a, it's a school on Long Island where they have one teacher for every one student. And what I did was I went there and taught mindfulness to the teachers, which I right. think is sort of what you're explaining as a way that we can help is if the teachers are more equipped with mindfulness skills, then they can uh, transmit that to the students as well. Right. Well, you know, and I'm going to be realistic about this. Being a classroom teacher and seeing it, seeing it, these teachers are stressed. Yeah. These teachers are overwhelmed. And you say to them, oh, now we're going to do this. They're like, what else are you going to put on my plate? Because I honestly can tell you they are overworked. What they are asked to do is humanly impossible. When I go to open school nights and I listen, I'm like, really? No, that, that's, that can't be. But there's more being, they don't realize how it will help them and how it will help their classroom, how it will help their children. But they're also programmed that I have to make sure my kids reach this certain grade for standardized tests because everything is about, you know, school ratings and every, you know, everything's off. Everything is way off, and we're seeing it in every aspect of our life. We when I, uh, I think it was something you had just said about it took skill and it took practice for you to be able to go on, you know, social media and to not let it consume you. I, I read a quote this morning. It was something along the lines of being content is no different than learning to play the violin, and it takes no less practice. I think it would be yeah. helpful if we started to see um, being content in mental health as teachers or as educators or therapists or whatever, parents, that be, teaching our, the children to be content is no different than violin. And we'll spend time and money to have violin lessons, but it's not really considered um, the same thing to spend time and money to have you know, mental health lessons, which I think- It's is not valued. Right. It's not valued. It's not valued from administrations. It's not val not all, of course, but um, the it's a it's education system has turned into a business where children are not products, and we've seen what happens when I talk about one of the best things I ever learned about mindfulness was the ability to teach children to regulate their emotions. Okay, it comes, watch it come and watch it go, right? Now, we are a reactive society. Now throw social media and technology into there. Everything is instant. So our children are programmed very early. The minute they have a bad feeling, I want to avoid it. So what do we do? We got two-year-olds with iPads and strollers. They're throwing a terrible two tantrum. What does a parent do? They give them an iPad. It shuts it down. We've we have taught two-year-old to avoid their emotions. Okay? That's the first time they have a bad feeling. They don't even know what it is. I'm so mad. I'm so angry. I don't know what it is. Uh, and believe me, I have children. 
those two, two and three-year-olds will have those fits at the most horrible moment. You're like at the grocery store, you're at this, and they're throwing a fit out of nowhere. But they're, they're experiencing, emotion, experiencing emotions that they've never experienced before. And to for a mom, you, you're embarrassed. You're like, oh my God, stop. Oh, oh, this is so inappropriate. So this, to we react to shut it down, shut it down. Well, now with technology, that is very easily. You put an iPad in front of a, child, a two-year-old, a toddler's, yeah, it's going to shut it down. Now we're overstimulating them with this light, with everything else that's going on. And we have taught them at two years old, every time you have a bad feeling, avoid it. So now what happens? They're three and four years old. Now I'm going to play Xbox for hours. I have a bad feeling. I'm not getting along with my friends. I, I don't know how to make friends. I don't know how to do this. I'm going to avoid. I'm going to avoid. I'm going to avoid. And now what do we go next? Now we have a drug crisis. They're going to go from that. Then they're going to go into watching Netflix for hours. Then they're going to go. It's just too easy and too convenient. We had to address our feelings. We were on our streets. Someone hurt us. Someone left us out. Someone did those things. It was hard. We didn't know it was hard because everybody was dealing with it. We have too many avenues for children to avoid. So and right then, now, Katie, if there's a... If there's a parent right now listening or a child right now listening and they want to make a change for the better today, what, what can they do today, right now, to make it um, a better situation for themselves or their child? Regarding avoiding emotions or regarding technology? Yeah. Um, learn to be okay with this is normal. It is normal for our children to have emotions and it is our job to help our, our children get through those emotions, not avoid them. Learn to cope with having them. I know you feel sad today or I know you're upset. Do you want to talk about it? How can I help you? And sometimes we can't. And there is a difference between a child being upset or being mad and playing with blocks and doing things than being on a device. There is a very different thing. Or running around the backyard or doing something with their body instead of avoiding. Avoidance, you know, many psychologists feel that avoidance is the root of almost every um, mental illness. Well, when you mention these things like the opioid crisis or yes. you know, video game addiction and social media I school think shootings all of it these kids have somewhere along school shootings what happened maybe it was a loner maybe it was this i mean we see the same profile all the time yeah and i guess in some ways it can all be tied back to an avoidance and even you mentioned uh the parents who are um, overwhelmed by it the parents who are embarrassed in the grocery store maybe they don't want to feel that emotion so for, for that to go away they have learned one way to do of it. Of course. Of course. And let me tell you something. As a parent, my children are 20 and 17 now, but I had twins. And my twins, when they were babies, it was hairy. They were colicky. They were tired. You know, you're tired. You're sleep deprived. You're this. And there was a video called Baby Einstein when my kids were younger. And there were days where I had no sleep or this. That thing went on round the clock. I'm like, oh, we're going to watch this again because it was an educational video. That was not a good, that was me surviving a day. But I felt guilty about that. 
And I was like, I got to get in the shower today. I got to do this. I got to do that. It is too convenient. And it is also um, almost accepted that these devices are everywhere. When I see a baby being pushed in a stroller with a laptop, I want to scream. Think about what happens. The most um, brain development is zero to three, right? So now we got a two-year-old in a stroller. He is taking, or he or she is taking in their world. That bird flew into that tree. Oh, that dog belongs to that family. Oh, that house, those flowers weren't there the other day. They're bringing their world in. We don't want to shut them off from their world and disconnect them. That is extremely dangerous. We, when we go to the grocery store and I see kids with iPads in the stroller, they're saying that's a lemon, that's a lime, that's a this. They're connecting themselves to I am part of something bigger. This is my family, though. That's another family. We live in the same community. They're telling themselves and putting themselves in this universe. If we disconnect them, what will happen? They will not be emotionally connected with each other. So and that is what we're seeing. I'm thinking of the lack of empathy. I'm thinking of something interesting here is like the other side of the coin, right? You and I right now, we are, well, we're adults one, and maybe this has something to do with it, but we are connecting through, I'm using Zoom to host this podcast. And I saw on YouTube, there was a TED talk that you did that had, you know, two, 3000 views. So I'm thinking and the podcast itself, this technology that is so accessible has made it possible for me to spread my message and for you to spread your and message. mine, yes. So, like, what is the the balance of there's there's um, a lot of if it weren't for this technology, you and I couldn't be having this conversation to talk about Correct. technology. So, what is the well, the bottom line? Is let's just say, and I don't know if you read my book, but in my book. We will look back at this in a very short amount of time saying, wow, I can't believe we gave kids these devices so young. There is a time and a place for everything. For example, your child is learning how to drive a car. He has to go to driver's ed for a whole semester. He has to pass tests. He has to do this. You would not say, here's keys to the car and go. That would be really bad parenting. And we have given our children because another part is we were, before technology even came, we know we were the helicopter generation. I don't know how we got here. And I spend a lot of time figuring, trying to figure that out. We grew up, there were rules. And the answer was mostly no. Can I go? No. Can I do? No. The answer was usually no. And every once in a while you'd get a yes. But now children rarely hear the word no they are i personally think children are more anxious because the adults are not in charge kids feel safe when they know what the rules are when when i was a classroom teacher you watched an entire class in the third day of school go ah okay now i know what the rules are oh if we do this if we do that and this this is how the class is going to run our kids are highly anxious because we're cowtailing and we're wanting to make them happy instead of being the authority of this is appropriate, this is not. I can tell you, myself included, a generation of parents who have, for some reason, 
made it more difficult for our children thinking that we were going to do everything for them, including give them the devices that are not age appropriate for them. That's the bottom line. And on the other hand, the first chapter of my book is um, talks about unfamiliar territory. We didn't know what technology was going to bring. We didn't like, oh, that's funny. Look at those filters. Oh, this is fun. And you saw your kid having fun. And you saw your kid, oh, this is what kids do nowadays. Oh, it's just Snapchat. It's just Instagram. Instagram. It's just how kids communicate now. But there's many layers of this that the fundamentals of communication that our children are not learning. We know that they don't have good eye contact. We know that they are, their empathy is so weak. Their empathy is weak because the screen is disconnecting body language. And the level of cruelness that goes on that words would never be said if it was face-to-face. -face. So we as parents now, technology's been in our life for way too long for us to say, oh, that's just what kids do. We see what happens. We have suicides. I mean, I've met parents, 11-year-olds, 12-year-olds who have killed themselves. 11 and 12, they're babies. So the bottom line is we now have to be the grown-up, be the adult, be the parent, be the teacher, be the administrators to say, whoa, clearly we missed the boat somewhere. And that's not our fault. Like you said, technology is a wonderful resource. This, like you said, this couldn't happen. My, my message, my app has been downloaded in 38 countries. Not because I'm so wonderful, but because the access that what technology does. But children are not you have to, like everything else, you're not going to give them a bottle of vodka. You're not going to give them, you know, these are things that are not appropriate for children. But I actually went to the Mindfulness in America conference and Anderson Cooper was interviewing um, someone big in Apple. I don't remember who it was. And he addressed it. He said, well, don't you feel any kind of responsibility of what this is doing to children? And the answer, which I thought was not a good answer, he said, well, it's the parent's decision. They buy the device. Would you put a bottle of vodka next to your kid's bed? You put the, you bought the device. It's the parent's job. Well, I agree to some extent, but if I'm going to buy a toy from Fisher Price, it says on there that it's age appropriate. It lets me know because you've made it. You, I know that this doll, the buttons are not going to fall off and it's not a choking hazard for my child. It's not dangerous. It was already tested and approved that this is appropriate for a two and a three-year-old. Well, if I were to go buy a phone for my teenager, I should walk into a store and I should say, okay, I'm going to buy, and the first question they should ask is, how old is this person? Oh, it's my 12 year old. Okay, well, I'd like, before you buy it, I'd like you to show you how to put the settings on. Because parents don't know. A, an eight year old should not have complete internet access. Average age of kids seeing pornography is nine years old now. I mean, we're skewing their brain. Their brain is not developed to see the images and, and see the things that they are seeing. Katie. And, 
there's so many levels. I could honestly talk to you for seven hours. Yeah, sure I could hear that. So what I'm thinking right now in my mind is um, <laughs> when I, I do the podcast where I usually try to keep them to around 30 minutes, but it's becoming clear to me pretty quickly that this <laughs> is a seven hour podcast. And I think that I, it's really, um, it's, there's many layers. It's it's cool for me to see your passion about it, and maybe there will be um, another episode that we can continue going through this. But as far as today, I think we've we've reached a good point of of length because there's also you know attention span that we have to consider. Yep. <laughs> and well, let's let's talk about that and what technology is doing to attention spans. <laughs> yeah, maybe that could be another episode, but. Um, as far as today, uh, one of the things that I've been doing with my guests kind of like off the record, but maybe it would be something that we can even include in the process for the listeners to listen to is what would you want to name this episode if we had to name it? Um, finding technology's place. Okay. Finding technology's place. All right, that's cool. I like it. The other thing is if people wanted that are listening wanted to find your book, find your website, how would they go about doing that? Um, my website is don'tpresssend.org. My book is on Amazon. Everything is Don't Press Send. You could get it at don'tpresssendbook.com. And my app is don'tpresssendapp.com. But basically everything is on my website at don'tpresssend.org. So you can find out information. You can find out how to get your school to have a presentation. We have two uh, separate presentations. We have um, cyber civics class, which teaches kids guidelines and strategies of what's appropriate, how to conduct themselves online. And we just launched a new one, which is Project Feel Good, which is really um, about the mindfulness component of how we can address social media mindfully. That's great. Well, thank you for yeah. sharing um, all of that. And I wanted to say also that I'm teaching uh, mindfulness around the island. So if I could some way get involved, reach, you can reach out to me. But, yep. I definitely want to take, I've taken the um, MBSR course, but I always feel like if you take it again, because you're with different people, you learn things all the time. Yeah. Oh yeah. I've taken uh, some of the, the practices from the course I've done, you know, hundred times and right. every time you learn something new, but um, let, I, I wanted to move towards closing up here, but I just wanted to thank you. I know that you're busy. I appreciate your time. And uh, on behalf of all of everyone listening, thank you for sharing your message and your time. Thank you. I'm also actually this summer um, doing the uh, Yale university has a ruler program, social and emotional um, curriculum. I'm doing that this summer. So I'm very excited about that. Okay. Learning more. That sounds great. Well, yep. thank, uh, thanks again for your time, Katie. And if we uh, can come up with another message, we'll do another one in the future. But I appreciate Perfect. your time today. Yep, we'll be in touch. Take care. All right, take care. Bye.